0: Hey folks, welcome to the Man of Steel podcast. Yes, I'm Michael Steele in the chair. Um, and You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Um, look folks, you you guys have been sort of following the trend lines. We've got a lot of Democrats jumping into the political ring, announcing their uh, bid to be president, Cory Booker being uh, the latest, the senator from, from Jersey uh and uh he joins kamala Harris and, and uh, a bunch of others and so it's really calling to mind um the electoral process again uh, yes we're just a few months away from last november's vote um but it, it it tells us that no matter what we do in public life beneath the surface is always about the franchise there's always an opportunity um to to improve the process of voting to give greater access to le- to the ballot box Uh, and this is going to be more and more uh, a point of conversation uh, as this presidential cycle unfolds and i can't think of anyone better uh, to help us uh, have this conversation uh, and to be smart about what our real options are to bringing the franchise to every voter um, and giving everyone an opportunity to fully participate particularly Um, in voting for president than uh, our guest today, Dr. John Koza, uh, who is the lead author of the book Every Vote Equal, A State-Based Plan for Electing the President by National Popular Vote, Uh, and he is the originator of the national popular vote legislation that has sprung up around the country. Full disclosure, I work with Dr. Koza uh, in this effort. I'm proud of this association um, because I think it is important um, to to uh, give everyone access to the ballot box and uh, to figure out smart ways uh, to do that. And Dr. Koza, it is a real pleasure to have you hanging out with the man of steel today, my friend. Did my mother write that? I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Set it up for us to help us understand what the national popular vote is and why it matters. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. There are a number of states that we can talk about a little bit later. New Mexico, Colorado just recently uh, acted on this in their le- state legislatures. Um, w- what, what, are we, what are we talking about here when you consider our current system with the, quote, battleground states, which tend to be the 12 to 18 states that are perennially in play at presidential elections um, and the impact that it has on the other uh, you know, states uh, out there in, in terms of their electoral process. What What is the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact and how does that change uh, the dynamic uh, for voting uh, and for president?
1: Well, right now, uh, uh, when you're running for president, uh, the states give all of their electoral votes to the candidate who gets the most popular votes inside each particular state. So, if a state is uh, more than 4 or 5% uh, Democratic or 4 or 5% Republican, uh, the candidates aren't going to campaign in that state because <clears throat> they're either going to get those electoral votes for sure or they're going to lose them for sure. And the result is they campaign only in the states that are. Very closely divided within a couple percentage points. There's usually about a dozen of those states, the so-called battleground states, and the entire presidential campaign gets focused into those states. So they're states you're familiar with uh, from uh, previous campaigns: Florida, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, and and New Hampshire, and. Uh, Almost all the campaign events and almost all the uh, campaign spending, the campaign offices,
0: uh, are focused on winning those closely divided states. So you've got the constitution. This is the one thing that, um, in in sort of uh, being on on the on the road uh, on behalf of uh, a national popular vote, you run into the first barrier people throw up is the Constitution. And they say, you know, they claim the Constitution doesn't permit uh, what it is you propose, uh, Dr. Koza. But the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, gives states exclusive control over awarding their electoral vote. So there is no uh, set requirement, constitutionally speaking, for uh, how the states... Implement uh, their electoral process. In fact, the the Constitution says, "quote Each state shall appoint, in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, a number of electors." So that gives uh, flexibility to the states. How has that? How does that work in terms of the national popular vote? It, it because it seems to make the case for for having a national popular. Vote. The states clearly have the ability to do it if they so desire, as you noted. There are a bunch of states who have already signed the compact. What does that mean? How does that work constitutionally uh, for the national popular vote? Well, Michael, as you say, the states
1: have the exclusive power to decide how the president is elected. And if we go back to the beginning, um, right after the Constitution was ratified, the states used all kinds of different methods for choosing presidential electors. Uh, In one state, the governor and his cabinet Chose the electors uh, in several states. The uh, state legislatures chose the electors and didn't let the people even have a chance to vote on it. Uh, some states used uh, districts of different types: counties, congressional districts, or even special elector districts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and other state, uh, three states used the something similar to what we have today, which is the winner-take-all law, that gives all of the states uh, electoral votes to To the candidate who gets the most votes in that state. Curiously, all three of those states repealed their winner-take-all law uh, by 1800, uh, but then later in the uh, uh, 19th century, the winner-take-all law became uh, uh, predominant. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so you've got you've got uh, this. This is the back the constitutional backdrop here. Um, so the states enter into this compact where they agree that uh, whoever wins the national popular vote, we will allocate our electors, our electoral votes, to that particular candidate. So when, when, does, when does such an interstate compact uh, go into effect? I mean, just for folks to understand, so an interstate compact that we're talking about for national popular vote is the same kind of compact that states enter into for the lottery. So the state of Maryland, my home state, uh, the state of Nevada, the state of New York, and Florida, all enter this compact to say that uh, we're going to play the lottery together. And if uh, someone from Maryland wins the the pot, the national pot of money, that these other states will pay up and, and give the winner from Maryland uh, that money. The same idea with this, you know, with national popular vote would be that uh, those a candidate who's running, candidates who are running for president, the one who gets the popular vote, um, the national popular vote, we would allocate our electoral votes to that candidate. Is that, is that pretty much how it works? Um, <clears throat> yes, it is. Uh, uh, no state alone would want to give
1: its electoral vote right. to the candidate who won the national popular vote in all 50 states and uh, the District of Columbia. Uh, because they would just be giving their votes away. So uh, our compact does not take effect until states having a majority of the electoral votes pass the exact same law. And at that point, the compact goes into effect, and then at the next election, the candidate who gets the most popular votes in all 50 states would get enough electoral votes, that is a majority, uh, to guarantee uh, uh, the White House to that candidate. These compacts are quite common. The lottery is another good example. Uh, Maryland alone could not offer a large prize uh, in the lotto game because there just aren't enough players in the state of Maryland. But by joining a compact with other state lotteries in other states, they can build up a large jackpot, which the public likes, and uh, increases lottery sales. Uh, and because they have that critical mass of, of a lot of states and a lot of uh, players, they can offer a very large prize. And there's all kinds of other compacts involving education and crime, uh, water resources, uh, and, and so forth.
0: So the, so the Constitution gives the states that, that flexibility uh, across a broad spectrum of, of policy and political and other initiatives. Uh, including voting uh, where, where does the, the compact stand right now how many states are in it uh, what's the magic number uh, 270 is obviously the magic number but what is the number right now and I, I know that there's been some movement recently with the state of Colorado and even as we're talking now the state of New Mexico is in play uh, update us on, 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 that, on, on that starting with um, the number of states totally that are in the compact right now
1: Well, right now, there's 11 states in the District of Columbia have enacted the compact into law, and they have together 172 electoral votes. Again, the compact doesn't go into effect until states having 270 electoral votes do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we're 98 electoral votes short of 270. And um, this week, the Colorado Senate uh, uh, passed our bill. Uh, It's... Curiously, uh, the very first legislative chamber that passed our compact when it first came out in 2006, but we're very confident uh, this year that it will get through both the House and the Senate um, and and to the governor's uh, desk in Colorado. Uh, Also uh, later today, uh, the New Mexico House of Representatives will be voting on the compact, and that's another state where the compact has previously passed both houses of the legislature, Mm -hmm. uh, but in different years, uh, and therefore in the past it it never uh, got enacted into law, and we're optimistic that uh, uh, probably this year uh, we can pass the House and the Senate together in the same legislative session get it to the governor's desk and hopefully it'll be signed
0: and that and that would add five more electoral votes to that to that compact bringing your number down to 87 needed at that point correct
1: that's correct colorado would be nine and new mexico would be five additional electoral votes Um, so that would put us uh, closer to uh, the 270 yeah
0: yeah interesting And so so the one of the things that I've always found fascinating in talking to people about this, about this issue, uh, Dr. Koza, is the, the, the flip-flop. You know, when, when you started this effort after the 2000 election, um, a lot of Democrats were hyped up about it, and you know, the, the, the first wave of states, including my own state of Maryland, that w- were signed on were largely democratic states, meaning they had a democratic governor, a Democrat legislature a democratic Senate so it was it was in response to the two thousand election, which we all remember as you know the the Bush v Gore election um, and that you know had a lot of recriminations, and of course the Supreme Court intervenes um, as it should under the Constitution, but that's a sidebar um, so then subsequent you have um, uh, some Republican uh, held states now sort of coming online. Uh, how, how do you navigate the narrative um, that this is more than, you know, this is nothing more than a partisan move against particular parties? So, for example, if you go back and you apply, as one person, you know, and I got in a conversation recently, and they say, well, if this were in place, Hillary Clinton would have been elected president because she had the popular vote she had that she won in 2016. Uh, and, and so how, how do you sort of navigate around this sort of the purely partisan response that, you know, is nothing more than really a boogeyman uh, argument, sort of scare people one way or the other, uh, and really get people to understand that there are fundamental constitutional pr- principles beneath this idea uh, and that at, in the end it is about giving every citizen uh, the most uh, – Well, the greatest ability to have a direct election of the President of the United States while still maintaining the integrity of the Electoral College.
1: Well, our proposal is nonpartisan. And what we try to emphasize to people is that there is no built-in advantage to either party in the existing system, or or for that matter, under the national popular vote approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, right after the, uh, when we started in 2006, the most recent memory was the very close 2000 election uh, where Bush carried the state of Florida by 537 votes out of several million cast. And uh, it was pretty easy to make the, the point that uh, those 537 votes could have gone the other way uh, and that the uh, there was nothing inherently built into the system that gave uh, uh, the Republicans, for example, uh, an inherent advantage. Uh, And and that argument was really so clear that uh, as we got away from the 2000 election, we got more and more Republican support, uh, particularly as um, after uh, George Bush was leaving office. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, for example, in 2008 in Michigan, uh, we got a third of the uh, Republicans uh, voting for the bill in the Michigan House of Representatives uh, when the bill came up. And. Then in subsequent years, our bill passed the uh, Republican-controlled Oklahoma Senate. Uh, It passed the uh, Arizona House in 2016, with two-thirds of the Republicans and two-thirds of the Democrats listed as sponsors. Uh, And it passed uh, the New York Senate at the time when it was Republican-controlled. So more and more Republicans were supporting it. Then after the 2016 election, and it's perfectly understandable, uh, a lot of Republicans said, well, uh, is there some built-in advantage for us? Uh, here we've had another election where a Republican um, ended up in the White House without winning the national popular vote. Um, but if you look back at the 2016 election, what you see is that uh, uh, Donald Trump was uh, Discovered very cleverly that uh, the trade issue, where Clinton was very weak in the uh, industrial right. states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin in particular, uh, and Iowa, um, he, uh, but the trade issue was was an issue <clears throat> where he could get the upper hand. Um, in fact, those were states where uh, Clinton lost the primary over that issue in Michigan and Wisconsin. So. Uh, He eked out a very slight advantage of 11,000 votes in Michigan and 23,000 in Wisconsin and 40 some thousand in Pennsylvania um, and ended up uh, winning the Electoral College. Uh, But if you look back at that election, uh, there was nothing uh, that's long term inherently built in in favor of the Republican Party. And if you ask people to, to look at that, the facts of that election they will they come to that conclusion but i have to say uh, uh because of the 16 election it's been harder to get republican state legislators on board on this bill uh, than it was before uh, right just before the 2016 election our bill was sponsored uh, actually sponsored by 47 of the 56 senators in georgia that, that was a supermajority of both parties um And that was because Georgia is pretty much an ignored state in presidential elections.
0: Exactly right.
1: And they could look over the border and see all the attention Florida got. There's numerous issues where Georgia and Florida um, are um, in competition, uh, whether it's uh, dredging the Savannah Harbor or water issues uh, and so forth. And just generally, states that are battleground states get um, 7% more presidentially controlled uh, federal grants. So um, the non-battleground states, which are three-quarters of the states, uh, like Georgia uh, uh, and other states, <clears throat> uh, the support um, was bipartisan. But inevitably, after the 16 election, uh, Republicans are a little more reluctant to uh, to look at the merits of the issue uh, uh, and uh, realize that the pl- our plan is 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 a nonpartisan plan, and there's no inherent advantage that anybody has ever identified as to why the current system uh, systematically would help the Republicans.
0: Right. So, it, it, do you worry, uh, or is there concern uh, that as this plays itself out, uh, that the you have, because you touched on, you, you know. Where Republicans are Democrats are, et cetera, that there'll be a switching back and forth as state legislatures switch hands. Um, my sense of it is that not so much that you know uh, that those states that have already signed on the uh, into the compact uh where either the legislatures may have changed a little bit or softened a little bit, meaning you know they've gone from a strong D to a soft d there hasn't been a real effort that I've seen. Um, where legislators come back and say, well, we want to undo this effort. We want to pull out of the compact. Once the states are in, they pretty much kind of stay in. I suspect there may be a little curiosity. They want to see what would actually happen when they get to that magic number of 270 in a presidential cycle and see it play itself out before they pull out. Well,
1: you're right. Uh, And, of course, uh, Republican voters and Democratic voters support the concept of a national popular vote so once it passes a state uh, it, it's fairly di- it's fairly difficult to pass or unpass any piece of legislation but in particular one that's uh, popular so once we pass the state our experience so far has been that uh, uh, there's no serious effort to repeal the compact uh, and and no actual Um, uh, attempt to repeal it. Now once there's an election held under national popular vote, uh, you can be sure there won't be any repeal because remember there's 38 or 39 states that are being ignored in presidential campaigns. So 38 or 39 states are suddenly going to see presidential candidates campaigning in Georgia and uh, Utah and and Maryland which is a safely democratic state Um, as campaigns they have not seen in the past and the uh, obvious benefit of having a 50-state campaign where every vote is equal across the country would would I think uh, uh, keep the compact in place but the states would do have the right to leave if, if they decide it's a bad system
0: <clears throat> interesting yeah hey, at, the, at, at, at the, for me this that the prospects of this are are just so enormously important um, uh, longer term, and I think it, it changes the dynamics uh, profoundly of how we look at the presidency, how we look at the process of running for the presidency. You know, you get the big state, small state argument. Uh, how how do you counter? Uh, what is the counter argument to you know uh, you know how the how the various states are impacted? You know, uh, California versus a Rhode Island. In my estimation, there seems to be a sort of a, a, a an equalization, sort of a leveling of the playing field. Because if I'm a presidential candidate, uh, I go to California for two reasons: one, to raise money, uh, and and two, uh, to to do whatever I can to grab those that significant pot of electoral votes there. But now, all of a sudden. Uh, I get to, under the national popular vote, I'll get to leverage that against a state like Rhode Island, the smallest state in the union, um, because their electoral votes are going to add to my total. Their popular vote is going to add to my total of popular votes uh, from across the country. And that, that will help me get not just California's electoral votes, but electoral votes in states that otherwise may not get that are part of the compact.
1: Well, Michael, you've touched on one of the uh, myths that uh, a great number of people have, which is they think the small states are advantaged under the current system. um, And they think in the back of their minds, they think the small states are Republican. Right. So uh, first of all, uh, in the last seven presidential elections, the uh, small states have been slightly democratic. They've they have divided seven to six in favor of the Democrats. In all but one case. So the small t- states are basically tied politically. They're not Republican and they're not Democratic, and if anything, they're slightly Democratic. But more importantly, people think the small states have some huge clout in presidential elections because every state gets two extra electoral votes corresponding to their U.S. senators. So they go through all these calculations and say that a vote in Wyoming is. Worth three times a vote in California. <clears throat> in fact, a vote in Wyoming is worthless for president, uh, just as a vote in California is worthless because they're both uh, safely uh, Republican and Democratic states.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and of the 13 smallest states, 12 of the 13 are one-party states in presidential elections. The only closely divided battleground state among the 13 small states is New Hampshire which has voted Democratic six out of the last seven times, but, it, but it's close. <clears throat> so the only one that gets campaign attention in the November election uh, is New Hampshire. The other 12 small states are totally ignored. And curiously, those 12 states have the same population as Ohio, uh, about 11 million people. Of course, Ohio gets an enormous amount of campaign visits right. and money and offices and attention. And policy, policy favoritism. Uh, small states are just totally ignored. So the reality is, the small states—they're uh, actually the uh, most disadvantaged states of all in the present current system because because uh, just the reality, small states tend to be one-party states, and they are factually one-party states, and hence they're politically irrelevant in choosing the president under our system. A voter in South Dakota or Rhode Island would become just as important as a voter in Ohio.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's and candidates
1: would have to campaign in the small states, uh, and they would give the twelve small states precisely the same attention they give Ohio, because the twelve smallest states have the same population as Ohio. And and if you're running in in an election where every vote is equal, you will generally campaign uh, in in uh, Lockstep with where the population is yeah, located.
0: I, I think that's such an important point because you, you, you're taking a, a political behemoth like Ohio, uh, not just in terms of its its uh, electoral prowess, but in terms of uh, its population and 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 the and the number of voters in that state. And you you're sort of leveraging that against the 12 next smallest states that add up in population to to Ohio. All of a sudden now. Um, it's almost a one-for-one one game, um, and, and you have the advantage of, of playing not just uh, in Ohio but playing in these other states that are going to be giving you um, votes that you otherwise may not get in Ohio. You may, be, you may run behind in Ohio, but you're running ahead in these other 12 states. So it, all of a sudden now, your, nu- your numbers change. You're going to spend time in those 12 states. You're going to spend time uh, in, in states that are right now flyover states uh, where you just, you're you not even going to bother. You don't even get money out of them. You just don't, even, you don't engage when you're running for president. Um, and then, of course, you, you're going to do more than just drop into a state like my state, which is a donor state, Maryland is, Um, And you're going to spend time time now because all of a sudden, um, you know, our our five and a half, six million, uh, you know, people are as much as in play uh, towards your goal of getting uh, the national popular vote as Ohio or Florida or, or, um, you know, Iowa or New Hampshire. And that changes the game, I think, in a way that's significantly important um, for future presidential elections. When you when you look at it, Doctor when you look at where we are and you see the dynamics of this election cycle. You've got, um, you know, as I noted at the beginning of the program, Cory Booker just announced. So I think you're you're up to like eight declared candidates for the Democratic nomination, with a significant number up to another twenty possibly getting in the race. You've got a guy like Howard Schultz, uh, uh, the former head of Starbucks, um, who's in in play uh everyone's jumping in on him uh but he's looking he's looking at an independent um, uh, effectively an independent run how how does that how does this impact that process um, does it does it uh do you see any impact or is it in terms of the way the players move around on the chessboard the candidates uh, right now at this stage in a particular primary it, it it national popular vote is not something that's going to shape that or, or or not shape it
1: well in terms of getting the nomination uh, our legislation has no connection with the nominating process right uh, <clears throat> in connection with uh, independent candidates uh, it's difficult to see any particular uh, change uh, uh, our system is based on uh, the winner being the candidate who gets the most votes most popular votes uh... in all fifty states Um, when ross perot was running and he ran as an independent um, there was a point uh... in june when there's a cnn poll he was ahead he he had thirty nine percent of the national uh... uh, popular vote support in that poll in june Uh, president bush was second uh, in with about 31, as I recall, and Clinton was behind at about 26%. Um, had the election been held that day, uh, Ross Perot with 39% of the vote, curiously mm-hmm. the same percentage that Lincoln uh, uh, got in 1860, he would have won the uh, under the current system. He would have won enough states to become president because a 39-32-26 split. With, uh, would you know carried down to the state level would have given pro plenty of states to uh, 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 to win all the electoral votes uh, just like Lincoln did uh, uh, on the other hand uh, if a independent candidate is down in the one or two percent level like uh, Nader was in 2000 uh, there's obviously no chance of winning the presidency under any system with two percent of the vote uh, but a two percent of the vote can flip a state like Florida in sure. two thousand. Yeah, uh, and frankly, uh, on a national popular vote basis, if you had a very close vote, uh, <clears throat> well, say uh, as close as the Clinton-Trump vote, two uh, or three percent going to a particular uh, third-party candidate uh, could determine the national outcome. So, there's, uh, it's it's difficult to to make any argument that independent candidates would fare much differently under either system.
0: <clears throat> Interesting. So it, the, the reality of it is this is a new this is a new space that's, that's, that's opening up more and more. More and more states are looking at it folks. Um, it is uh, dynamic as hell. I love it. I, I think people need to get smart about it. Uh, I think people need to understand exactly what it is and certainly what it isn't. Um, and we can start with the fact that it is constitutional because, as we noted already, uh, the Constitution gives us the authority, gives the states the authority to enter into such compacts um, and, and to, you know, declare themselves, um, uh, you know, how they want to go about, um, you know, putting in place the mechanisms for electing uh, or nominating and electing a president uh it's not complicated folks uh it's right there uh in the constitution itself so there, there's a lot of ground uh ground to do this uh do this important work and i'm excited to be a part of it uh dr koza i'm reg- i'm glad you were able to take some time and come on and and sort of talk us through some of the mechanics of this and what it what it means and what it will mean uh for voters going into presidential cycles do you think um, uh, probably not 2020 so much, but by 2024, are we looking at uh, uh, the possibility of the requisite 270 uh, electoral votes uh, uh, being captured by the states and, and entering into the compact? What's what's your optimistic outlook?
1: <clears throat> well, uh, we have an outside chance of putting this in, into effect in time for 20, uh, but it's not that good a chance, Mm -hmm. but we're adding electoral votes all the time. Uh, We expect that several additional states will enact this into law uh, this year and next year, and that we'll be much closer to 270 uh, uh, by the time of the 2020 election, and we think we'll go over the top uh, uh, sometime in the 2021-2022 period. Uh, So I am hopeful and, and optimistic that the 2024 election for sure uh, would be uh, under a national popular vote.
0: That, that would be exciting as I'll get out. That it, it really, really would be. And uh, it's just a privilege for me to, to be associated with it and have so much respect for your leadership and vision uh, and really trying to open up the opportunity for every American uh, to exercise their franchise and participate and feel feel. Uh, the validity of participating in uh, the electoral process uh, by uh, participating in the national popular vote. Um, Dr. Koza, just a real pleasure having you on with The Man of Steel. Uh, Well, thank
1: you, Michael, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Uh, Absolutely. So, folks, uh, he is the author of the book, uh, co-author, one of the lead authors of the book, Every Vote Equal, a State-Based Plan for Electing the President by National Popular Vote, uh, please check it out. And, and Dr. Kozo, what's the website that folks can go and learn more about the National Popular Vote? Um, nationalpopularvote.com All right, folks, nationalpopularvote.com. Check it out yourself. But before I go, just want to just raise one little thing with you. You know it happens to most of us at some point or another? Debt just sort of creeps up on you. You know how that is? How many of us have looked at our finances and screamed, how can we make this much and still have so much debt? Unexpected repairs, replacing the washer and dryer, medical bills, and of course the killer, those insane interest credit cards you had to use to pay for it all, right? Here's a really smart move that could help you get on top of your finances. Get a fixed rate personal loan at bestegg.com. The rates are great right now. Now imagine finally being able to pay down those crazy high credit cards and bills and then bank the money you save each month. Consumers have rated Best Egg 4.8 out of 5 stars on Consumer Affairs because of the super easy online app that takes about a minute with no impact to your credit score. Upon approval, funds can be deposited in as little as one business day. So get your bills under control. Bank what you save. And take control of your finances with a loan from bestegg.com. Visit bestegg.com slash plan. That's bestegg.com slash plan. And certainly, don't forget to check out The Man of Steel on your your, your podcast uh, platform, whatever that happens to be. Uh, We'll be back next time with more conversation uh, with The Man of Steel. All right. Take care, folks. See you next time.